0: Hello and welcome to Voices from the Coalfields our podcast series based around a collection of audio interviews that Mantle Arts carried out with people from the towns and villages of North West Leicestershire in the middle of the 1980s Originally recorded on cassette tape.
1: If this is the first podcast that you've listened to, then thanks for joining us. There are six in all, available on SoundCloud and at nwlvoices.com. And they can be listened
0: to in any order.
1: So in this podcast, we look back to a moment that would be an utterly defining one for so many of those who talked to us back then.
2: I am speaking to you from the cabinet room at 10 Downing Street. This morning, the British ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received, and that consequently this country is at war with Germany.
0: And our guide through this experience is going to be a woman from the village of Trinkston called Hilda Sykes, who in 1937... ...was asked if I would take over the running
3: of the Thringston Post Office and General Store. And of course, I was amazed. I said, what me? I said, if I got one sum out of five right at school, I said, they put very good, I said, because it was very good. And I carried on for probably a year and a half until i had a holiday and went to my brother's in london and that was where i first saw the preview as early as 39 it would be because it was when the first alert was for people it was portrayed on the screen at the cinema where we went with my brother and his wife in London, uh, to say all people, would they please, visitors, would they please get back to their own homes uh, because um, of the imminent
1: war. So Hilda and her husband packed their bags, said their goodbyes, Boarded their train and headed home, a young couple still dreaming of having a family. But for Hilda, this news was something that she had been preparing for.
3: Though many people didn't know it, for two years the ARP had been running. Uh, It had been, you know, we'd gone into training to learn
0: to write messages and to man posts. Hilda was primed and ready for whatever the Germans could throw at her as a member of air raid precautions. But before we discover more about both her role in the war and life on the home front in the area more generally, it's worth remembering that many of those who were interviewed had already been affected by the First World War, an unimaginable tragedy that had only ended just over 20 years before.
1: Here's Herbert recalling another post
2: office. The first thing I ever remember was being in Cobalt Post Office with the mother, Douglas in the Army, on November 11th, 1918. And all of a sudden everybody went berserk and started shouting about the armistice. And the thing I would do is pull up mother's skirt and say, What's an armistice, man? What's an armistice? <laughs> And I think that's the first thing I remember and the next is I was playing in the yard or the garden and uh, I don't think it was the first, I started school and uh, I went and told my the soldier had gone by and kissed me her brother had come home from the army which would be uh, 1919 probably. Dad came home some time after.
4: They didn't say much when they returned and many were clearly troubled, fragile, lost. And for years, endless years, it was so present as war memorials were built and ceremonies were held and village halls in honour of those who died were opened. And yet, the hope of something different, something better, that we'd all been promised, never arrived. We all just kept struggling on, in the shadow of this awful war, which had found its way back into our curtains and carpets, in the way that our husbands and brothers held their bodies and looked out the windows. And if there was one hope in our hearts that we all shared... It was that such a thing would never happen in our lifetimes again.
0: But it did. And this time, although the country struggled to rearm so that it was capable of taking on the Germans, in towns and villages across the country, a volunteer force was being prepared And Hilda, from Thringston, having been one of the first to volunteer, along with her husband, was learning about the potential horror that beckoned. We were given a course on phosgene
3: gas and mustard gas, and then we were told, although there could be the H-bomb... On which there wasn't much information then. And we regularly, my husband and myself, attended the classes and got quite proficient by the time
1: the war was declared. They were part of the one and a half million people who enrolled in the ARP, or Civil Defence, as it was later renamed. The area was divided into different warden sections, each with their own number, as the prospective wardens prepared for their examinations.
2: Phosgene gas smelt like musty hay, and mustard gas like geraniums. Or was it the other way around? And, to be honest, there was a lot of competition in the class, especially between Mr Gibson, the rent collector for Huddlescote, Ellistown, and Whittick, and myself as to who would be the first to pass and properly start our work.
0: And yet, after Chamberlain's announcement on the radio, for Colville and Whittick, Ibstock and Mesham, there was, like everywhere else in the country, uncertainty about
4: just what being at war again actually meant. For eight months, nothing much happened. You'd talk about it in the pub and read about it in the newspaper. And there were all the warnings and advice about what to do if this happened and what to do if that happened. And although some men were conscripted, a lot round here were in reserved occupations. Someone said the government had ordered a million coffins because of what had happened in Spain. The amount of people that had been killed by Luftwaffe bombs. We should have been terrified. But we weren't. Not at all. We called it the Boer War because, in many ways, it was just invisible.
1: Except for the work of the ARP. We fitted the gas masks in the village,
3: and then two others were further trained. To fit the cradles for the babies and why I mentioned this was because the horror of the mothers when they found they had to actually work the um, air into the cradles uh, they just didn't want to accept them or know about them I'm not putting my baby into anything like this and Then, of course, we had our duties to, when war was declared, to go round at night and see that all the curtains were too. Of course, there was a scramble for, uh, there was some thick black silk material and we were all making blackout curtains and because everybody didn't understand at first about not a crack because we were explained to us on the ARP that um, above a bright spot of light even a crack was far more easily it would uh, guide the enemy that they was where there was habitation and so we had to go round on patrol but if there was an actual air raid we had to go straight to the post. we all knew our duties we had our message Cards and our pencils in case there were any
0: fertilities, anybody, should the place become bombed. But while stirrup pump drills were taking place in Heather and Donisthorpe, Barden and Cullorton, they were the first of the new arrivals to the area. From Birmingham and London, cities where everyone knew the bombs would definitely drop. All clutching their little cases. The only thing I can say: the children, some of them were very cheerful, yeah. but some were a little bit emotional,
3: and so was I. <laughs> to see them come in, leaving the parents behind and the gas masks on all those. Even now, I feel a little bit. <laughs> and then, of course, we took them round. You see, to the
1: not just me alone. I mean, there was quite a few others. So God guided Leicester Road. That was Ethel Me, remembering the first evacuees arriving on the 1st of September 1939 at Ibstock with
0: their best hats on and their name tags around their necks. A huge influx of young children in towns and villages right across the area, including Thringston, where Hilda was waiting.
3: To see the community set, to see the room, the club hall full of children. I think what really touched me was to see people in the village fetching the children one by one and see the look on the children's faces that weren't picked. Uh, That really was quite sad. Wondering, am I going to be left? You could see it in their faces.
2: We called them at school, and everyone was interested in them, crowding round to find out if they seen any Germans and laughing at their strange voices. It was like they came from another world entirely. The ones at Baden were from Birmingham, streetwise they were, with all sorts of rude words we country kids had never heard of. One or two brought bits of shrapnel with them. The most prized of trophies bargained over with marbles.
0: I think it's interesting that when we think of war, we rarely think about the way in which the social upheavals that it causes impacts on the identity of a community, and how it brings together people who otherwise may never have met, and how these encounters can change lives. Here's Hilda again, still hoping for a child herself, remembering one of the evacuee mothers, Grace.
1: And then we'll hear from Joan one of those first Ibstock evacuees, and Joyce, two lifelong friends who were thrown together by chance.
3: I have got one evacuee mother who had four children and carrying a fifth, Grace, and uh, I went to the Robinsons who had a very big house with three stories just out of Thringston, and uh, I asked them and they took the mother and the four children and she still Grace writes every year her children now would be of course 40 and that and we used to have the children in our homes as much as we could to give the mothers a break because some mothers came with their children where they were already pregnant.
5: My first memory of coming was standing at the station with a crowd of other children, bag I think, or <laughs> case or something, presumably with our uh, limited supplies in. And we were more or less brought up as, as sisters, really. Yes, oh, all through me, well, past me childhood, even up to now, really, I, I remember I've always been classed as part of the family. So I do remember Joyce's mum sending us under the stairs when there was <laughs> I remember that on and, the uh, and that. And um, I remember walking down the high street to the infant school. And um, being frightened by a big dog, which seemed very big to me at the time. (laughs) But uh, as the years went by, Joyce got married,
0: and I was Joyce's bridesmaid. And then we just kept the friendship of having been. It's heartening to be reminded that when we open our doors, we are rewarded by the experiences that we have, that those who say yes often lead the richest lives.
1: And whilst the men and the women who were serving found themselves in places many had never heard of and their families received letters with exotic postmarks, the invasion of German troops, parachuting down in the middle of the night, disguising themselves as vicars and scurrying through allotments, never came to pass. Although the realities of war had begun to hit home.
3: the wail of the sirens it was awful because it had to penetrate everywhere but we used to get our helmets and of course everybody carried their gas mask in a case on their back but we had special gas masks with the canisters on the bottom because we had to go out into the raid should there be any damage but the night when the aircraft came over and dropped the bombs it was an aircraft a german aircraft and it had been injured and what they did when they got struck by our air anti-aircraft then they would lighten their load anywhere indiscriminately that's why they came over here dropping at intervals their bombs and uh, then as the plane came nearer straight over my house, they dropped another bomb which blew the um, electric system and flashed up all blue light. And I thought, we're the next. And we did wonder whether we'd run to the stairs where you got the two walls. We always tried to get, if it was an emergency, Against a wall uh, or under a table against a wall or under the stairs. But I had a cellar and all my precious possessions were down the cellar. Uh, It was quite an experience.
5: There were bombs dropped here in Colville. There was one that landed in the chicken run at Mr New's farm in Owen Street. After the bomb disposal squad defused it, There was a lot of interest in that. They put ropes around the hole and he could walk round and peer down it for a tanner. It was quite a size, about six foot long with fins at the back. They took it out eventually and put it on display at the Rex Cinema on trestles. They put it on trestles inside. People were queuing up. And more new arrivals made their
4: way here. I was a land girl, riding my big bike to work on the fields here and to be whistled at by the miners that you saw going to work or coming off shift. And it wasn't long before we were joined by others. German and Italian prisoners, mangle chopping and potato riddling. We were a bit frightened when we first saw them and kept our distance. But if they saw you struggling, if something was a bit too heavy, They'd be there to help. And if we started to sing, they'd join in. It wasn't long before we became friends, really, and shared our lunches together. And their food always seemed a lot more interesting than what we had. There used to be singing concerts at the Thornton
5: Club in Colville, and the Italian POWs had come. Of course, the women were warned about fraternising, but they were nice lads. When I had my first child, they give me this toy that they'd fashioned themselves. A a wooden bat with four little chickens on the top that were attached to a string, so that when you shook it, the chickens came down one by one as if they were pecking the corn. It was lovely.
1: But tensions were rising within the community as the strains of war began to show.
3: People didn't realise that because a man didn't go to the war, he wasn't necessarily any more out of the war. We were all in it. And the miners, because the miners had extra rations of cheese, big lots, which, of course, they bartered in turn because they had more than they wanted, and they had extra milk because they were turning out the coal. I can only speak about the miners, because this is a mining village. And people resented it very much. And of course the miners had their usual coal, and what upset the people that weren't miners, I can remember well, was that the miners didn't burn slack and they lined their garden paths with it because of the mud, because it was a rural place and there were no slabs at that time. There were only coal fires, everybody cooked by fire. And also, they had to rely on the fire to heat them, which it didn't, of course. You couldn't manage for a
0: week or two on 200 weight of coal. If anything causes tension more than anything else, it's the lie that we're all in it together, particularly when times get very tough. Somebody would say
3: uh, they've got pre-call down at Colville. uh they've got, you know, anything that was a bit special, bananas, oranges, you never saw any more. My children didn't know what a banana and an orange was. And uh, although it's two and a half mile, I mean, if you wanted anything, when you heard of it, you had to go there and then. I'd heard that the vicar had been given a whole tin of custard powder. This was when I'd got the children then. And, of course, I flew across to the co-op and I said to Mr... uh, slater the manager at the time i said uh, could i have a tin of custard powder and he looked at me blandly he said mrs Sykes, we don't have such a thing he says you can have the usual tiny packet And uh, so I said to him, ''Oh, that's all right, Mr Slater.'' I said, ''I'll go home and put my fur coat on and come over the other side.'' ''And I might get a packet then.''
1: So by now, Hilda was a mother, having had the baby at home like everyone else.
0: Whether there was an air raid on or not. (laughs) (laughs) And there were yet more arrivals.
2: What kind of life awaits those young men selected to be Bevin boys?
1: Come with us to Snibston Colliery in Leicestershire and we'll find out.
2: It was a lottery to be chosen, done by the numbers on your national insurance and when we came we stayed in huts at Ellistown with some being put up by families who got to know us at the dancers in the concert room. There was the odd romance that began to blossom too of course. It was the hardest work I ever did and we weren't allowed to leave the mines until our D-Mob number came up, the same as in the armed forces in 1947. But the one thing that stands out was that everyone helped each other. If there were breakdowns or hold-ups on the other shift that made us late, everyone pitched in to help.
1: I felt sorry for them, to be honest, having to work with us when a lot of them didn't want to. Many just didn't seem cut out for it at all, but they could surprise you. There was one who was a student of languages. I told him, that by the time he left the mine, he'd know another language that wasn't published in English literature.
0: Such an upheaval and such change as communities worked out how to navigate these years amidst the worry and the hardship and the sacrifice.
1: Forging friendships with those they would never have expected to and finding ways to ensure that the economy kept going and people were fed as the black market ran riot and poachers' kids would knock on your door in the morning, asking if you wanted a rabbit.
4: The landlady of the Bull's Head in Whittock, who had a banana hanging up in the bar that a sailor had brought back for everyone to see, would swap you two bottles of Guinness for a tin of salmon. You wouldn't believe what people would do for a jar of jam and a pair of nylons. But even as a
0: mother, and perhaps more so now... Hilda was still having to stay alert to the danger from the skies above. We did get a £20
3: bomb in Thringston, straight over the fields in front of me. It had to be 41, because I have my daughter in 41, but... Although I was expecting Adrian, I got up out of bed, we went down to the craters of the bomb, and we had to stand guard till morning so that the villagers didn't come and take big, jagged pieces. And they were solid pieces, sheets of solid, jagged iron. And you could imagine the damage it would do if it would cut somebody. It was quite an experience.
1: In
0: 1945, the war ended. And just as Herbert, at the beginning of this podcast, remembers his uncle and father coming home, so now did men of his generation arrive back in Heather and Colville, Ibstock and Thringston, in their demob suits and raincoats with their war wounds and changed lives.
2: Marlborough Square was packed when VE Day was announced. We all knew it was coming for a day or two and were given the day off when it happened.
4: The first thing we all did was take down our blinds. ...and let the light in. All the women got
5: together... ...and got wooden benches set along the street... ...and the kids had fancy hats and toffee apples... ...and we drank. Oh, we drank.
1: Coming home wasn't easy. My three-year-old son... ...had been looked after by my wife's brother... ...and to all intents and purposes... He thought that was his father. It took a year to gain his
2: confidence. A lot of us just wanted our old jobs back. And we were bolshe now. We had a different attitude to authority than before we went. And we knew that unlike our parents' generation, we weren't going to let this just happen all over again.
0: The fissures and cracks that the last war had caused in the social fabric of the country finally burst wide open. The rationing may have gone on for a while... But in so many other ways, this was the beginning of a very different world, as the weapons that Hilda had been warned about in her early ARP classes were used to bring the war to a terrible conclusion.
1: And what about Hilda? How did she feel about the kind of world she'd been living through during these years? A world which also saw her beginning her own family.
3: I didn't really during the war want a child actually I didn't want children ever again because I loved them so much and I felt that it wasn't fair I felt that it wasn't fair to bring children into the world ever anymore I felt very strongly about, and i wasn't the only one because people thought well there have always been wars, and if there's always going to be wars, what's the use i i wasn't the only one in that when the war was on what's the use of bringing children into this? but you did i mean nature's nature. And procreation and biology, they go
0: on, whether there's a war or not. Mercifully, Hilda's children were brought up in a post-war world, where old enemies became allies.
1: And where Hilda, once a proud member of the Thringston ARP, never needed to look at another gas mask again.
2: Voices from the Coalfields podcast was produced by Mantle Arts as part of the Northwest Leicestershire Voices project with support from the National Lottery Heritage Fund. The episodes were written and directed by Andy Barrett and presented by Sean Stinson and David Hare. The community cast also includes Chris Bingley, Wendy Freer, Catherine Hellier, Hannah Platts, and Bob Thompson. The episodes were recorded at Aspect Studios in Loughborough and edited by Tom Lowe. For more information on the series, go to nwlvoices.com.